0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Today is Halloween. People are into scary stuff. So how about something really scary for the rest of college football? This is a Georgia football team right now showing a level of focus that is a real big problem for almost anybody else who would consider themselves to be a national championship contender. And as the season goes on, uh, the whole idea of, oh gosh, it's crazy, anything can happen, all that stuff starts to subside. And you sort of realize that actually the crop of teams who truly play and perform at the truly elite level is it's actually a smaller group than maybe at one point time folks hoped. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of sort of hope springs eternal type stuff at the beginning of almost every season. But that erodes as the stress test of the season moves along. And this is the time of year where we sort of see Georgia kind of become at its best. That's been the blueprint for the last couple of years. It would appear to be perhaps that's the same blueprint that's about to play out here right now certainly that was the case on Saturday as the calendar was about to turn to November of course this is the final day of uh, October here today but as the calendar gets ready to turn towards November Georgia starts to have that look a little bit of a championship type team dispatching a rival on Saturday but also perhaps demonstrating a little bit of a harbinger of doom for anybody who stands in the way of Georgia the rest of this season and I loved how Kirby Smart talked about this on Saturday after that game against Florida about the way in which Georgia kind of approached this from a mindset standpoint That was the mindset for the dogs against, as we like to call them, the lousy, stinking gators. And you would presume this is the same mindset that Georgia brings with it into the rest of its games there as well, including Missouri this Saturday. By the way, a lot on that here today. There was one word in particular that Smart used that I thought was terrific, and it was a simple statement, but I think it gives you a great idea about the focus of where Georgia is right now. I want you to hear the way that Kirby Smart started his press conference on Saturday after Georgia's win against Florida. I think this is really good. Take a listen to Kirby. You
1: know, we came in with an idea of focus on a mindset of, of mission team me. We talked about it all week and we wanted to you know, put the mission first and team first and me last. And I thought we had a lot of guys do that today.
0: I love that. We want to put the idea of the mission first. Mission, team, me. And to me, Mission is just a really good word. Now, around here, we're very clear about what the mission for Georgia is. It's go for three and twenty-three. Kirby Smart might say that a little bit differently, but nonetheless, it's the same type of deal here. Is that Georgia has a chance at history. And of all the national championships that Georgia has won, and the including the one that it could win here this year, I mean, I think there's a case to be made that the one they're about to pursue, the one they're about to kind of put themselves in a position to try to win, this may be the most important of them all right because you would potentially think well maybe it was the first one but eventually a team like Georgia a coach like Kirby the confluence of of the focus and the talent and everything else eventually it was just going to probably break through and win one whether it happened in 2021 or some year after that at some point in time there was just too much positive momentum for this not to all kind of come together at exactly the right time and exactly the right way eventually that would have probably happened so while it seems like the first one would have been the one that was most important you sort of get the impression that this was bound to happen at some point in time even though there were some naysayers suggesting that might not but if you win this one all of a sudden, you're in an incredibly different category. I'm not really quite so sure how much Georgia sort of thinks about that as it thinks about its own mission here, but I think it's the job of people like us to talk about how true that is. You already see, you know, winning streaks right now that put Georgia, you know, at the top of anything we've seen in college ball in recent years you know their streak of being number one right now in the AP poll what's the third highest all-time they have a chance in the next week or two to kind of move ahead of that and become what the second highest all-time they're already kind of putting themselves in quite the historic category but by going out and winning another national championship kind of closing off the go for three and 23 mission if they really can do that with these games coming up to set themselves up to be in a position to be able to do that then all of a sudden you're talking about a football team that will literally exist in the history books, a football team that will literally exist on the top shelf of any run of any team, whether it be kind of modern times here in sort of the, you know, the internet television era, or, you know, go back to the black and white days, the leather helmet days, there will be nothing like what Georgia will have done if they can complete this mission this year and to truly go for three and 23. And I think there were a lot of people around college football for quite some time that were sort of hoping that Georgia might not ever quite zero in on that mission the way that Kirby Smart, you know, says uh, that this team is right now or the way that Kirby Smart has challenged this team to be. I think there were a lot of folks who were kind of hoping that might not quite be, you know, what Georgia ever was. They might you know, lean on their previous accomplishments and rest on their laurels. They might sound like Dabo Swinney sounded like uh, last night during his radio program, which by the way, we'll get to before our show is done today. They were sort of hoping that Georgia would be satisfied with what they've done in the past and not still hungry for more success in the future. But here on this Halloween day, when everybody's kind of into the scary stuff, I'm going to tell you a scary thought for the rest of college football, that Georgia is just as focused on its mission as ever, apparently proving that against Florida, perhaps ready to prove the same thing here against Missouri coming up this Saturday and as the college football playoff rankings come out tonight no matter where Georgia is in these rankings the Georgia still has sights set on being number one at the end when it all counts that is a fun thought for for a Bunch of Georgia fans, and a very scary thought for a, a Michigan, an Ohio State, an Alabama, a Texas, a Florida State, anybody else, uh, Oregon, a Washington, anybody else who may put themselves in that hope of winning a national championship. The idea that you might be able to sidestep Georgia, that you might be able to, you know, not have to be too concerned with, about Georgia, the idea that you could avoid all of that. I think the way that Georgia played on Saturday against Florida, you're left to conclude, no, the road to the national championship still goes through Athens, Georgia. The path towards a national championship still requires the confrontation with UGA, and that's just simply not something that you want to be a part of. And so you're going to hear some of the same stuff about Georgia tonight that you've heard maybe in the past of, ah, oh, they ain't played nobody or, you know, they're, you know, you know out of conference schedule, not strong enough. The, the, the teams they've beaten, not impressive enough, but here's the thing. You're seeing this across the rest of college football right now, too, that just lining up and playing anybody on a week to week basis, eventually that kind of separates the week from the tears in its own, in its own way. You know, you saw Oklahoma lose this past Saturday. You've seen Washington now a couple of weeks in a row sort of flirt with losing. You're starting to see some of these teams that have hopes of being where Georgia is realize that traveling that path is not quite as easy as Georgia makes it look. This team truly is on a mission, has been for the last two years, and they kind of view that mission still with work to be done here for this season. A fun thing to think about if you're a UGA fan. Now, let me kind of slightly shift gears on that, but also kind of keep the same thing going. I think it's important to ask or probably you know certainly a curious thought how is it that Georgia seems to be able to kind of turn the focus on when it really needs to be and how is it that Georgia is able to kind of maintain that focus through a long season because let's face it college football isn't just mentally draining because of what it requires from you from a from a focusing standpoint it's also physically draining because people are just sort of beating on you the entire time there is I don't think any sport that takes more out of you over the course of a season than, than than football does. College football, even though that it's sort of shorter than the NFL season and kind of shorter seemingly than all the other sports seasons too, uh, even being shorter, it still feels like a grind when you're in it. How is it that Georgia is able to do this? How is it that Georgia is able to stay on this mission and stay as focused as they do? And I think this is one of the underrated aspects of kind of Kirby Smart as a coach, is it seems like even though Smart is, as intense and kind of fired up as anybody could ever be, you know, literally this sort of indefatigable level of energy that he seems to have. One of the ways in which Smart seems to be able to maintain that is by pausing at brief moments to sort of appreciate the moment that he's in and to use a phrase that he's used before, figure out a way to be where your feet are. And on Saturday night, you know the place where georgia's feet were right there in that locker room and able to kind of celebrate a, a big win and i want to show you this on video for those of you watching on video and listen i, I realized that if you're listening to a radio podcast you can't see this but our buddy bass and dog shared this on twitter and it, it's really amazing thing to, to, to see this is the conclusion of the fox five georgia football show that they do every week this is just like they're rolling the, the end credits and you're seeing Kirby Smart dance. Now, we've seen him do, like, what do what they call like the yeet dance there before with the visor turned backwards. But this is almost an even more intense version of that. His son, Andrew's right there with him. Georgia players are all around him. You saw Ladd McConkie there a moment ago. Uh, you see all kinds of folks, uh, Dominic Lovett, jo- Javon Buller, they're all in there just sort of celebrating and having fun with this. Our buddy Bassendog tweeted this out to say that Kirby and Andrew were dancing in Jacksonville after hanging 43 points on the Gators. That's such an awesome thing to see. And it is an awesome thing to see, A, because if you understand Georgia football, you understand how important this rivalry win against uh, Florida. Now, if you don't understand Georgia football, you may think it doesn't matter or something like that. But if you understand Georgia football, uh, if you're deeply entrenched into the subject of Georgia football, you know how big a rivalry win is for Georgia against Florida. But beyond that, it's also sort of that necessary um, – I guess, reboot of energy that along the way towards staying on a mission, along the way towards staying focused on the task at hand of go for three and 23, you got to pause for moments in between there. You got to take 24 hours to celebrate a win. You got to take 24 hours to enjoy the moment that you're in. You got to be a little silly in the locker room sometime, not just because the players love it, not just because it's kind of a fun way to sort of celebrate with your son, because it's also a great way to kind of reboot the energy that you need to move forward with what's next with the season i do think as kirby smart becomes more seasoned as a head coach as he becomes more experienced as he just kind of gets a little older right kirby go back and look at pictures of kirby in 2016 when he first took this job he like the rest of us we were a lot younger back in 2016 we looked a lot younger uh kirby certainly did he's you know been around here for a little while a little bit more seasoned a little bit more experience and it seems like the version of kirby we have now moving on into the next phase of his coaching career seems to understand that when you get a rivalry win like that when you take down a hated foe like the lousy stinking gators stop take some time to appreciate it because it's fun to beat on a rival but it's also good to kind of sort of take a moment to celebrate which kind of gives you a chance to reboot the energy for what comes next and in a roundabout way Kirby Smart also sort of talked about that a little bit yesterday during his weekly press conference looking ahead to Missouri he was talking about Eli Drinkwitz which admittedly sometimes it feels like Drinkwitz is a little bit of an outlier in terms of other college coaches the way that he looks the way that he acts especially here within the SEC but in talking about Drinkwitz and what Kirby kind of likes about the Missouri coach, who'll be his foe again on Saturday, Smart sort of talked about some of the stuff I'm talking about here right now of, hey, appreciate the moment that you're in. Relax and enjoy it. Otherwise, you know, it's going to just consume you. And I thought that Kirby Smart had some interesting things to say about that yesterday as he talked about Eli Drinkwitz, but also kind of reflecting on himself as he did. This is Kirby from yesterday.
1: Yeah, he's he, Eli's got his personality. I mean, he'll tell you, he's well, he's – he doesn't he doesn't seem to stress and worry uh about about things a lot he's 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 takes it as it comes and enjoys it and uh try to do the same myself when it comes to enjoying the moment he says it all the time that you better enjoy it or or why'd you get in it and uh and that's what you come to this big league to play playing these big games like this one
0: I think that's great I think it's absolutely true and I don't think it's try I don't think it's just um you know, something you're supposed to say. I think it really is true that that Kirby says, the drink says, hey, enjoy the moment. Otherwise, why are you in it? Um, I think that's absolutely right, both for the big game that Georgia's going to play on Saturday, but also the big win that Georgia got this past Saturday against Florida. That Georgia right now seems to have two twin pillars figured out. It seems to be f- figuring things out about how to be as focused as possible on pursuing another national championship. That mission continues again on Saturday against Missouri and also stopping along the way to appreciate the moment and soak in what truly is a historic era, not just for Georgia football, but for college football in general. This is one of the most successful runs that any college football program has ever gone on. It's far from done, we would think, but as Georgia takes each and every individual step, it seems to be enjoying every last one of them, which perhaps only propels Georgia to want to have more success along the way. And that, my friends, is a very scary thought for the rest of college football. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And as I said a moment ago, we are go for three and 23 with Missouri on deck for Saturday in one of the biggest games, arguably the biggest game that Georgia's played thus far this season. And obviously, we get a lot to talk about as it relates to that here this week on our video platforms, including dognation.com and our first and 15 which starts at 9:45, across the rest of the video platforms there at 10 a.m radio with our friends in athens on athens sports radio 960 ref podcast all across the uh, fruited plain of podcast platforms however you choose to be a part of our show we just really appreciate that and we appreciate our friends at engineered solutions of georgia for making it all possible there as well you know dogs back at home on saturday they try to take care of business at home and when it comes to your home you need to be taking care of business too watching for potential problems like the foundation and the waterproofing issues that Engineered Solutions of Georgia is designed to help you with. They are a solutions-based company, so when you're facing these significant problems, two of the biggest issues that a homeowner can face with their home, as you're facing these issues, I want you to think about Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and I want you to be looking for those telltale signs that something could be an issue for you. Obviously, the water stuff is the easiest thing to spot. You see you know, wet spots where it's not supposed to be. You see water creeping in where it's not supposed to be. You know that left unchecked, that problem's only going to get bigger and bigger and lead to more work and more fixing that's got to be done. So take the uh, uh, reminder that when you see that, that BA said, think about ESOG. Think about our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Same thing for, you know, those cracks in your sheetrock on the inside of your house or those kind of like stair-step looking cracks that are sometimes showing up on the brick on the outside part of your house. When you see cracks in your walls, cracks in your you know, uh, you know foundation like that, you know that could also be the sign of a foundation problem. Now, the good thing about engineered solutions of George is really twofold. Thing number one is this. Some of this stuff is not as big and challenging to fix as you might think that it is. In fact, some of this you might be able to do yourself. So if ESOG spots that or recognizes that, they'll just simply tell you that, hey, Go to the hardware store, do whatever else, because literally they just exist to help you solve your problem. And if it's a simple fix. They want you to be able to solve that yourself if possible. But if it's more substantial work, all the more reason to have engineered solutions of George on the job because they've got an entire team of engineers devoted to your issues, foundation and waterproofing. And there's nobody else in our marketplace that can put that level of resource to work for you. That's what they're all about. Engineered solutions of George is also proud partners of UGA athletics, which makes them fun to do business with. And importantly for me, admittedly, they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily as well. And I love that because I love the fact that so many folks in our audience want to support those who've been great supporters of us, and our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia truly, truly have. So please, give them a call. Super easy number to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW that'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia, your solution for foundation and waterproofing issues, and a proud partner of UGA Athletics. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, I'm going to go around the doghouse. And I want to admit that there's a certain nostalgia that I have this week, looking back to exactly this time a year ago. And I think one of the questions we're going to ask a lot here this week is how much can we make this big home game to kick off the month of November? How much can we make it feel like the game a year ago against Tennessee? Now, there is an element that's just impossible to recreate because last year, Tennessee came in as the number one team in the country via the College Ball Playoff Selection Committee. And obviously, Missouri won't be rated that high when the uh, first rankings come out tonight. Uh, They, you know, maybe top 15, maybe in the top 20, but they're not going to be anywhere close, I would think, to the top 10 there on that. So from a ranking standpoint, you're not going to replicate what you had last year with Tennessee. But this is a game in which Georgia will feed off its fans much like it did last year against Tennessee. And we've kind of gotten to the notion, you know, the point now where Georgia's fan behavior, Georgia's crowd reaction is not really opponent dependent if Georgia's playing a home game, the Georgia fans just show up with the assumption they're going to be a part of the path to victory for UGA. Kirby's been so good over the years at pumping up the fans for what they provide in a game like this. At As of now, it's just sort of assumed there's going to be a symbiotic relationship here where the Georgia team is going to be propelled by the fans. The fans are going to feed off the success that Georgia's having, and it's just going to kind of feel like that on the inside of the stadium. But Nonetheless, while we sort of assume that a certain level of that's obviously going to be true, you know, there's also that kind of wonderment of, well, how much can you build to what happened last year against Tennessee, and how close can you come to the kind of frothing at the mouth intensity that everybody had going into Athens last year of that first Saturday in November, on the backside of the Florida game, looking at that huge game against this you know Tennessee team that was for the SEC East and George obviously marched to a victory and really kind of demonstrated that it would win the national championship. How much can that be like this here on this particular Saturday? And I think, you know, the you know, how close you come to getting what you had last year depends on, you know, how much the fans sort of view Missouri as a threat and how much certain media types are willing to also talk up the idea that Missouri really could be a threat to UGA. And it's that last part that I do think is going to be kind of interesting because there's no shortage of, like, you know, what's-her-name on ESPN or whoever else. They're more than happy to kind of talk about what Georgia hasn't done, hasn't played so-and-so, hasn't, you know, schedules too weak or whatever else. But just please notice something. These folks are always kind of playing the strength of schedule game against Georgia. They never quite take it so far as to say, in fact, I think Georgia's going to lose blah, blah, blah game you know, they'll be more than happy to sort of nitpick schedule and Georgia hasn't proven anything or whatever else, but they've at least got enough sense to not put themselves out there too much and say, and, and because of that, you know, frankly, I think Missouri's going to come into Athens and beat them on Saturday. They don't say that really, right? They stop short of saying that. So let's see how much, if any of that we get from the media this week. Last year, we did get this last year Tennessee had played well enough you know namely mainly beating Alabama they had played well enough that there were some people willing to go on the record in fact I think what the entirety of the game day uh you know broadcast set did a lot of the online folks did there were people willing to kind of talk about the idea of Tennessee coming into Athens and beating Georgia Missouri right now does not quite feel like that level of team but this is a good team this is a obviously justifiably ranked team with only one loss they obviously played Georgia close a year ago and so while we may not quite get the media hysteria around Tennessee coming into Athens we got a year ago I certainly think that Missouri's probably good enough to earn enough fan respect from Georgia they'll be ready to create the kind of atmosphere that Georgia needs there on Saturday but how close do we get you know to that from Tennessee a year ago I guess it sort of depends on some of the chatter here of these uh, seven days. When it comes to Kirby Smart's belief, obviously he's got great respect for the Tigers and what they've been able to do this year. And a lot of this is on the offensive side of the ball. The fact of the matter is, there is a list of quarterbacks in America that has played far better this year than I thought they probably would. And a guy you have to put on that list is Brady Cook. When you look at Jake Garcia transferring to uh, Missouri or. You know, a guy like Jay uh, 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 Sam Horn, the former Collins Hill quarterback, who seemed to be kind of, you know, ascending there as a young quarterback. I thought between either Garcia or Horn. One of those guys would probably beat out Cook for the job because a year ago, Missouri fans weren't too happy with Brady Cook and probably for uh, justified reasons. But this year, you know, Cook's having a much better season, propelling the Missouri offense into something I think you legitimately have to respect and clearly delivering the ball very well to a guy like Luther Burton, who right now is playing like arguably the best true wide receiver in all of college football this is a Missouri offense that may not be quite as explosive as Tennessee was coming to Athens last year, but certainly plenty explosive enough that it ought to get the respect of both Georgia and its fans, and it ought to be the kind of thing that Georgia's working very hard to game plan against this week. We presume it will be, and Kirby Smart talked yesterday about specifically what he's impressed with when it comes to Missouri offense. This is what he had to say about that.
1: You know, you you, you do the best you can to stop the, the, the things they do well. I mean, they're very explosive offensively. They have they have more than three weapons. People talk about three weapons. They got the quarterback's a weapon, uh, and and you throw the three receivers in there, and then they've got a big physical tight end They're using the run game, and their backs are, are really good receiving the ball out of the backfield, and uh, a, a very unique run game that's it's kind of unmatched in the SEC. You know the way they run the ball. They got some different runs that um, a lot of teams we don't we don't we don't we don't see that type run. So when you add all that in, it's a recipe for um, being explosive and scoring points, which they've done, they've been very explosive and scored points. When you talk about how you stop them, I mean, you, you got to be able to cover them. you got to be able to rush the passer. <laughs> you got to be able to change things up, um, but they're not easy to stop when you have an accurate quarterback and uh, explosive athletic wideouts.
0: So, just, I mean, fair enough from Kirby Smart right there. I think that Missouri represents the biggest challenge the Georgia defense has faced yet this year, but... I think it's also fair for me to point out in the midst of getting ready to take on this, you know, really dangerous and explosive Missouri offense. I absolutely love what I saw from Georgia's defense this past Saturday against Florida. I don't put the Florida offense in the same category as the Missouri offense, probably not even close. But nonetheless, I love the brand of football that Georgia's defense played. Much more aggressive in sacks and tackles for loss, much more dynamic on the outside edge, you know, just impactful plays and you have you know the return of Tyrion Ingram Dawkins to thank for that you have I think a bigger role for guys like Damon Wilson and Marvin Jones Jr. to thank for that which by the way I would say that we pretty well did speak into existence the way we sort of hoped we could last uh, week if you'll remember we talked about that if if I could wish anything for Georgia I'd wish for a bigger role for these two guys they were both very impactful there on Saturday Uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson obviously contributed that on the inside Georgia always kind of being propelled by great inside linebacker play The Georgia defense on Saturday looked to me like the Georgia defense. So as you get ready for this big game on Saturday against this very good Missouri offense, big TV window, 330 CBS, all the marbles in the SEC seemingly on the line. Pretty ranking next to both teams' names. You know, it feels like a big game. It feels like the kind of game in which the atmosphere in Athens is going to be intense. And it feels like this Georgia defense is coming of age at exactly the right time here this season to be ready for all of that. We started the show by saying that Georgia's on a mission right now. The mission is go for three and twenty-three. And at different points in the season, different parts of the Georgia apparatus here has probably not quite looked up to the national championship level. But last week against Florida, it seemed like it was starting to all come together. And seeing the next phase that against Missouri I think it makes this game up, uh, coming on Saturday a very, very fun thing to watch. All right, so that is Around the Dog House here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG here today. Now, before we're done on today's program, we don't have time to do all of this because we're already darn near a half hour into the show. We We, we won't have time for all of this, but Georgia fans are definitely having a huge reaction to a very, very touchy situation last night. Clemson coach Dabo Swinney kind of doing battle with a caller on his call-in show and I think there's a couple of things that make this relevant for Georgia if nothing else it's just sort of funny to hear Dabo kind of uh, in a war of words with a fan just a really really weird uh, back and forth there on the coaches show for Dabo last night so we'll do some of this to conclude before we're done on today's show because it was truly uh, juicy stuff for college football fans and Georgia fans themselves had a big reaction to that we'll get there in a little bit but for now the win against florida the game upcoming against missouri and the cfp rankings released for the first time here tonight let's cover all of that with connor riley today on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider great to have connor riley on the program today and connor as you would imagine we've been in good moods here on our program the last you know couple of days uh, I liked a lot of what I saw from Georgia against Florida obviously it's always a great moment for UGA when it can beat Florida the wonderful celebration from Kirby Smart proves just how true that is but when you think about what happens after that the brand of football that Georgia played I think gives you some real reason for optimism about, you know, the, the, the mission of what comes next here for UGA. So before we get into Missouri and CFP and stuff like that, can we just park for a moment on Georgia and Florida? What did you think of the Georgia performance there, thorough and complete? We obviously thought that it was, but your reaction to how Georgia played there in that spot against uh, Florida and Jacksonville on Saturday afternoon.
2: Yeah, so I have a, a group chat with a couple of buddies from college. And after the first drive, there were some complaints in the group chat. And I'm like, I mean, Florida needed two third and sixes to convert to score in that first drive. Like, if they're going to have to do that all game, I think Georgia's going to be fine. And that is almost exactly what happened there. Uh, Georgia ripped off 36 straight points in this game. And honestly, it probably should have been more, as I think Kirby Smart lamented in the game there afterwards uh it was as dominant as i think georgia has been this season and they did it without probably the best player in college football in Brock powers uh you saw the steps needed i think from guys that you know we spent the past week and a half talking about needing to step up carson beck i think played an incredibly clean game from him which was really important lad mcconkey and dominic lovett both had their best games of the season on saturday defensively, Marvin Jones Jr., Jalen Walker, Tyrion Ingram-Dawkins, Michael Williams, Damon Wilson, guys who play primarily on the edge and work as sort of edge rushers or defensive ends, all having impact plays in that game. I think those were some of the areas that you wanted to see Georgia play better where or that needed to play better, and they go out there and they do that for four quarters against a, a Florida team. And, you know, this is still a team that has a really talented secondary, a very good offensive line, and I actually think, had its best game of the season on Saturday. Uh, Dajon Edwards, two touchdowns, 95 rushing yards, uh, another really strong game from him there. Uh, You're seeing this team, maybe in a way that the previous iterations of Georgia football haven't been, get better every single week, and that sort of speaks to just how good those past Georgia teams were to where they didn't need to maybe get better and improve over the course of the season. This Georgia team, as I think we've sort of seen, with maybe the exception of that Vanderbilt game, has gotten better every single week, in my opinion. And really, since the since halftime of the Auburn game at the end of September, this has been a different Georgia team. And I think a lot of that goes to Carson Beck and the improvements that he has made since then. But that has trickled down throughout the entire team.
0: I thought one of the most amazing things about Saturday, the lead-up to it was, is how open Carson was willing to be about this game mattering to him. And not just admitting that for his own sake, but also – using that as leverage to the rest of his teammates of, hey, if I as your quarterback, if I matter to you, then go out and play well on Saturday because this game matters to me. And there's just a certain element of human nature that – If you make a big deal about something and then you don't achieve it, then you look like an even bigger failure than you otherwise would. And so, therefore, in sports, there's a lot of sometimes like careful language of no game's any bigger than the other because you don't want to make it seem like you're a huge failure if you don't succeed in the game that you circled and said was a really big deal. But even before the game, I mean, Dominic Lovett told us this last week that Carson was more than happy to say, this is a huge game for me and I want to play well in this and I need you all to help me play well here in this game, really kind of using that. As a mantle of leadership from the quarterback spot, and then on Saturday he went out and absolutely achieved. I think uh every one of what his you know pregame goals would have possibly been there on that, Connor, that kind of tells me something about Carson. And I just find that to be really interesting.
2: yeah, this wasn't a three hundred and forty mile vacation for Carson, uh, and I appreciated his candor in the postgame comments saying, "Yeah, this game did mean a lot to me. I was excited to go out there and play uh you know, to have the ability to jump in the stands afterwards meant a lot to him. It was something that he had waited for. He had said, you know, starting and doing it in this game and playing that well uh, meant a great deal to him. And, and, you know, I think you're absolutely right in underlining, you know, sometimes the robotic nature of uh, we try and treat every game the same. Georgia's not jumping into the stands after every game uh, like they do when they go down to Jacksonville. And so, you know, there's not video of Kirby Smart coming out dancing in the locker room. After every single game, right. like there seems to be every time they play against Florida. The idea that this game, you know, Georgia did just, you know, check it off because they were a multi-touchdown favorite and found a way to win. Everything we've seen from this team in the post-game celebration afterwards it dispels that notion there. Now, yes, Georgia's focused on Missouri this week. They've moved on. I don't think they're going to let the Florida game sort of linger and be a hangover there. But it is cool, and there's a larger point to be made here about college football and sports in general. You know, if your sole focus is on just championships at the end of the season, odds are it's going to be a pretty miserable experience totally. for you because there's only one team that wins a title, and even though Georgia has won those last two, I think every Georgia fan out there knows it's not always going to be like that. They're not going to win every national title for the rest of the for the rest of time, and so you have to take time to celebrate and enjoy. Moments like Saturday, you know, uh, the stats that's going around from 1990 to 2010, Georgia beat Florida three times. That happened three times in essentially a 21-year span. They've won the last three times they've played Florida all by at least 20 points. And so, you know, I think it's a big moment for Carson. It's a big moment for this program. And quite frankly, it's a big moment for Georgia fans because, you know, they suffered a long time in those two decades there against their chief rival, the Florida Gators. And to sort of... Go in there with a lot of questions and play as well as they did, I think is a really freeing feeling for Carson and something that this team moving forward, I think can use of like, Hey, you know, we were questions, We had a lot of doubts about us and we go out there and we play a pretty darn good game and and win and and show why this team while still getting better can also be the best team in the country.
0: I want to shift gears here to the Missouri game on Saturday. And I told our audience a moment ago, uh, Connor, that I'm pretty nostalgic for this time a year ago, that Tennessee game. Um, I think, and I hope I don't regret saying this, but I think that may have been the single most fun week for me in the Kirby Smart era, even though there were obviously bigger wins for Georgia along the way. The truth is is that the lead-up to that Tennessee game was a game I actually believed that Georgia was going to play well in, so I had the confidence to not be as nervous as maybe as a fan I might be in some other game against some other opponent and yet the more people talked up Tennessee and the more, more people kind of like built up the walls. the angrier as a fan. I sort of got about that. I think a lot of Georgia fans kind of responded the same way. Sanford Stadium was at a fever pitch throughout the entirety of that game. It was just a really special memory for me, and I don't quite think Missouri is going to get you to that level on Saturday, although I do expect a great showing from the Georgia fans, but I guess that's kind of my question is, how much can this game against this Missouri team come close to feeling like exactly a year ago did against the number one ranked Tennessee with a lot of folks talking up the Vols a lot of folks openly doubting UGA can we get something close to that in the build-up of this game there on Saturday because admittedly I had a blast this time a year ago and it'd be fun to do something similar to that as you lead in towards Saturday
2: yeah, I think if that's the case, you're banking on either Eli Drinkwitz or some, someone from Missouri providing bulletin board material, and so yeah, that very well could happen. Eli Drinkwitz, I think to his credit, is a very outspoken, very comfortable person in terms of speaking his mind, and he knows he's got a big challenge coming into Saturday. And look, like Georgia's a 16-point favorite going into this game. Uh, you know, they weren't an underdog last year against Tennessee, but everyone in the national media seems to think so. And I, I weirdly think, you know, everything about last year's game, the fact that it was raining, the fact that it, the defense played the way that they did. It was a 27 13 game. You know, Georgia, you know, will we'll certainly score more points this Saturday. I think with all that in mind, that's sort of a perfect storm to use a poor analogy there of why last year's game was so special. I, I think this, this Missouri game, it, it's a little different, but I actually think the fact that last year's Georgia Missouri game. Was so close that the team found a way to really push Georgia. I think makes this maybe a little bit of a bigger game, at least from the team perspective. I'll be interested in seeing how amped up fans are for this game and sort of what the atmosphere looks like. But I do think that from a team perspective, with Georgia looking into this game, look they know Missouri can throw a punch and take a punch as they showed a season ago. And this is a team seven and one right now. Their lone loss at home against an LSU team that. I know the final score was 49-39, but Missouri was right there and led throughout much of the game. There, so I'm really interested in seeing, you know, what this Georgia team does. Again, not going to have Brock Bowers on Saturday. You're going to need a big passing day from Carson Beck, I think, against a suspect Missouri defense back there. And then defensively, Luther Burton's the best guy that Georgia will see in the yep. regular season, best individual yep. player they're going to play. You know, there's Marvin Harrison Jr. Marverati, Maserati Marvin. Alone, I think atop the college football playoff rank or college football wide receiver tier, Luther Burton is right there with Keon Coleman and Roma Dunze of Washington in terms of what he's going to be able to do and the way Missouri uses him. We saw last year that Missouri put Dominic Lovett in some advantageous spots in the slot there, and Georgia struggled to cover him. Missouri's going to juice that up on steroids with Luther Burton on Saturday, and I'm really interested in seeing how Georgia goes about defending that matchup because. Luther Burden is an absolute game record. There's a reason Georgia wanted him really, really badly in the 2022 signing class. And you've seen this season from him why he is such a dominant player.
0: Yeah. I mean, to go back to the Tennessee thing for a moment, you know, there was the famous like leaked audio of Kirby at practice a year ago where he was, I think he was getting on Keeley Ringo and he was talking about, you know, Tennessee getting layups and, I think that's really what the next three weeks are like for Georgia from a defensive standpoint, which is you know, offensive-minded coach like Eli Drinkwitz, offensive-minded coach like Lane Kiffin, offensive-minded coach obviously like Josh Heupel. Even though Tennessee doesn't have the same level of firepower this year they had a year ago, but a guy like Burden and a coach like Drinkwitz and frankly a quarterback who's had a much better year than I expected him to in Brady Cook you know they're going to try to find those vulnerabilities in your defense and they're going to try to attack the middle of the field that's what you know some of the Lovett stuff was a year ago that's what some of the Burden stuff will be here right now and if you're Georgia you've got to prevent those layups from occurring. That's one of the things they did well against Tennessee You know, last year. They made tackles, and they prevented those receptions from becoming the kind of big gains, easy touchdowns, the, the likes of which it seemed like Jalen Hyatt was just getting in bunches. And it's kind of interesting that not only does Georgia play a stretch of ranked opponents here over the course of the next three weeks, they're all offenses that at least in some form or fashion I think are going to try to challenge Georgia in a similar way
2: right I, I the guy I'm most interested in in these next couple of weeks, really I, I think this game in particular, is Malachi Starks. that guy yeah. is as good an athlete as Georgia has ever had in its defense, and he's having a phenomenal season and this matchup on Saturday with Luther Burton, I think is going to be a real challenge for this Georgia defense, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you see them move some things around in their secondary, and if they're going to try and isolate Luther Burden on, Tyke Smith, maybe in the course of the game. Not dissimilar to the 2021 Georgia-Tennessee game when they moved Chris Smith from safety to star. Maybe they consider moving Malachi to star just to say, hey, match up one-on-one with Luther Burden and sort of see what you can do. Uh, I think Georgia would feel very comfortable with that. And, and, you know, I think Malachi's got a chance to really, you know, much as we talk about Carson and him making a name for himself in the Florida game, I think with the next couple of games uh, against Missouri – Ole Miss in Tennessee, I think Malachi's got a chance to really make a name for himself on a big way in a big stage for for this defense. Because while, yes, the pass rush really showed up on Saturday against Florida, I still think the strength of this team is the guys that they have in their back seven. And Malachi, I think, is the best of anyone out there. And so I'm really interested in seeing what we see from starts in these next couple of weeks.
0: Right, I want to talk to you more about the CFP stuff coming out tonight in a moment. But let me get one more thing on this game before we get there, which – When the stuff comes out tonight, we're going to hear a lot of criticism of the Georgia resume, but I'm curious to see how much of that actually becomes criticism of Georgia overall. In other words, do you think a media voice with some prominence, some following, will go as far to say, hey, listen, I think Missouri beats Georgia on Saturday? Because that's the thing that kind of turns up. you got respect for Missouri. That's the thing that sort of turns it into something a little bit more intense and a little bit more vicious the way the crowd responded to Tennessee a year ago because people were picking, at least some people were, Tennessee to beat Georgia. Do you think someone has the guts with any kind of like real prominence, real following to actually pick Missouri to come on the road and upset and beat Georgia? I sort of am skeptical that'll happen. Do you think there's anybody who will take it far enough to say that?
2: No, and I think the only reason why is because of the logo on the helmet. Uh, If that were, you know, if this team had, you know, Tennessee uniforms, if this team had Florida uniforms, I think people would feel, in theory, a lot more comfortable picking uh, this team to upset Georgia or at least find a way to push it to make it close. I think there's so much inherent bias based into the fact that uh, it's just Missouri. They haven't done a whole lot in recent years. They're not stacked with elite recruits. What are the real chances of upsetting Georgia there? I think, you know, this Missouri team is certainly better than Tennessee, certainly better than Florida. And from an SEC East standpoint, they're going to finish second in the league. I think they have a chance to finish 10 and 2. I think they have a chance to possibly play in the New Year's six games if they keep playing well. And this is absolutely going to be a test for Georgia this week. But as far as, you know, your point about people in the national media maybe going out and picking Missouri. I think, unfortunately, part of it is just the, the the confirmation bias of, oh, it's Missouri, you know, they can't really hang with Georgia. They haven't beaten Georgia since 2013. And so that's just sort of the way this game is always supposed to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, just real quick to follow up on that, you know, last year Tennessee goes, what, 11-2, and 6-2 and in the league? Missouri could do that. Missouri, yeah. They're not going to finish 6 in the country if they do, the way that Tennessee did a year ago. But Missouri could go 11-2 and and 6-2 and in the league. They absolutely could.
2: Absolutely, and they're not going to give up 63 points to South Carolina in one of those losses as well.
0: That's exactly right. All right, let's shift gears. Final topic, college ball playoff rankings tonight. You and I were talking off the air yesterday. For whatever reason, I love the CFP rankings. I, I know that people say they don't matter, especially early they don't matter, and I guess to a degree they don't. I still really enjoy, even after all these years, this is our 10th year of the college football playoff, and next year it's obviously changing and expanding its format. I'm a big fan of the rankings. I like college football debates, and this is just an easy topic to debate. So let's debate here a couple of things here for a moment. If you were a one-man college ball playoff selection committee, who would be your number one team tonight? Georgia. Okay. Uh, if, you, if it's not Georgia, who would – all right, maybe just say it this way. Who would you then rank at number two?
2: I would rank Michigan at number two just based on what I have seen from them in a week-in, week-out effort this season.
0: I uh, believe that uh, Michigan is probably the better of the two teams I'm about to compare them to. But I think I would probably go Georgia 1. I'd probably go Ohio State 2. I think that – look, I think you've got to – obviously view Georgia through the lens of this is a team picking up right off where it left off with you know two straight national championships dominating uh certainly its most important games its biggest games thus far this year and generally speaking playing a more dominant brand of football than almost anybody else in America is I guess Michigan's probably been somewhat close from a resume standpoint even though Ohio State week to week I don't think is playing that great you know they have beaten Penn State they did win at Notre Dame uh while I don't believe that Ohio State would finish there. That's the team that I would probably rank second and I'd probably rank Ohio State ahead of Michigan, even though I sort of suspect that Michigan might be the better team.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I have Georgia 1, Michigan 2. I think the college football playoff committee, in terms of what they're actually going to do, is put Ohio State at 1, Georgia at 2, and Michigan at 3. And, and, you know, again, so much to this is, yes, Ohio State, in my opinion, deserves credit for going out and beating Notre Dame and beating Penn State, both of those – or uh, the, the Notre Dame game being on the road – but as this, this Ohio State team, they've been the more talented team every time they step on the field, and it just feels like they're playing the same game over and over again where it's you know, 24-10, 24-13, and their defense is absolutely dominant. I have no qualms with what I have seen from them this season. But this offense, particularly the offensive line, I just continue to be very unimpressed with, and I think if they run into a team that does have the guys up front, whether it be a Florida State, a Michigan, or a Georgia – I think they're really going to struggle offensively, even as talented as Marvin Harrison Jr.
0: is. There's a new photo out there that would appear to be Connor Stallions actually dressed in – what is it? Is it it, uh, Central Michigan? Yes, Central Michigan garb on the sideline for a game against Michigan State. That's apparently how far that allegedly the Michigan sign-stealing stuff has gone. My my reason for bringing this up is – I know it's getting to be a little bit of a tired topic because it's been talked – to death so much, but like how much does this come up with Michigan tonight? And if you're slapping a you know a top four ranking on Michigan, which you're certainly going to do, some people think they could even be, you know, possibly ranked number one. How much does that come with an asterisk by the ESPN television broadcast and the committee overall? Is it even mentioned as a consideration when you talk about Michigan, the idea that they may have, you know, violated rules in terms of the success they've been able to enjoy?
2: Yeah, well, I hate to burst your bubble here, but that, that Connor Stallion Central Michigan photo has already sort of been debunked as. Oh, often.
0: is that not real? Uh, okay, well, there you yeah. go.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, two, I, I mean, it is going to be interesting, especially, I think, when you consider the fact that Michigan is a Fox product with the Big Ten games airing on Fox and NBC and CBS as well there. Whereas, you know, this is ESPN, and if you really want to twist the knife and, and push this narrative out there that, you know, Michigan has really benefited from this sign-stealing operation, you can really hammer that home, and I think maybe not necessarily influence the college football playoff committee, but you can 100% influence public perception with the way that they elect to talk about this and the way they elect to to discuss things about Michigan, especially considering the fact that since all of this has come out, Michigan hasn't played really a game. And so I think it'll be really interesting this week. They play Purdue, you know – they play Penn State next week, and I do not think Penn State is all that good, quite frankly, with what they yeah. showed against Indiana and then a week ago against Ohio State from an offensive perspective. Uh, you know, there is going to be, I think, a narrative potentially to be pushed uh, with regards to Michigan. You know, again, I'm not – you know, I enjoy football. I'm not some football expert. I, I, you know, how much the sign stealing has truly helped them, we're going to see. I do believe you have to go out there and actually stop it, and they've been very, very good at that. Uh, you know, we probably won't really know, and this is just the way their schedule sets up unfortunately, and quite frankly the Big Ten not being as good as I think some people thought it was going to be. We're not going to know a whole lot about Michigan until they host Ohio State in the last game of the regular season. They essentially, in my opinion right now, have a one-game regular season, and, you know, they win that game, They, in my opinion, rightfully should be in the playoff even with all the questions surrounding that program.
0: So let me finish with this. We can do this kind of quick. We we'll don't have to make this a you know a whole you know long discussion, but of the non-Georgia, non-Michigan, non-Ohio state. There's three teams we just mentioned. Is there anybody else out there that you would say, "Hey, I'm going to tout them as a team that could win the national championship right now?" Is there a team kind of outside the the SEC, Big 10, you know, recent sort of concentric circles of success? Is there a team kind of outside of that that you would tout as a team that could win the national championship this year and therefore ought to be taken seriously here moving forward?
2: I mean, I, I think Alabama could, uh, it, just because of the raw talent they have there. But again, they haven't looked like that team this season and they're going to have their hands full on Saturday against LSU. Now, it, from the sounds of it and the early monitoring of it, it seems like a lot of people are going to pick LSU. I'd be very careful of that. Uh, you know, if they, assuming Alabama beats LSU, they're going to get through the rest of the regular season unscathed and they're going to have essentially a chance to win their way in, in an SEC championship game against Georgia and you know, with the way it sets up now, we're going to see how things turn out over the course of the season. I don't know that, unlike in 2021, you know, the loser of the SEC championship game, even if they come in with an unbeaten record, gets into this college football playoff. Obviously, a lot of football still to be played there. So I think, you know, if you're an Alabama team, you get one chance to knock out Georgia, and if you do that, you should obviously feel pretty good about yourself. But other than Alabama, I don't think there's a team out there. I know Oregon has looked very impressive. Uh, of late with their big win over Utah this past weekend, I still don't trust Nix. I will never trust Bo Nicks. I, you know, at a certain point, you know what someone is. Believe them. Washington, I, I still, you know, in part because I picked them before the season and I'm holding on that they're going to make it in the playoff. But you can't beat Arizona State and Stanford, two of the three worst teams in the Pac-12, by a combined 10 points. And, and so, you know, Texas. We'll see with what happens with Quinn Ewers there, but they have some real issues right now. And so, really, I think it's four teams that can realistically win it. And even then, you know, Alabama, part of that is just banking on who Alabama has been in the past and not necessarily who they are this current season.
0: I love this time of year. It's going to be a fun month, kind of really good stuff. Thank you for uh, just, you know, helping us get ready for the first CFP rankings coming up tonight and all of the interesting stuff that will come in the weeks after that, there as well as the true chase for a national championship, or as we like to say around here for Georgia, go for three in 23 as that continues. Uh, Connor, thanks for your time, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon.
2: Yep, as always, it was a pleasure.
0: Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. Yeah, I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, uh, just because I do think the list of teams that could win the national championship is obviously getting smaller. And um, I think that's to Georgia's benefit, right? At one point in time, it seems like, oh my gosh, it could be all any number of teams well now that list is legitimately getting smaller and we're getting to something a little closer to what we thought the season would look like when it began we'll talk more about that here coming up in a moment for now though let's go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and obviously we're looking forward to that dog nation cruise coming up in april talk to a few of you uh recently you're going to be on that with us and we can't wait for that so Jessica Slater's a great travel agent. She's got a great website. It's called royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com. And when you go there, you can learn about all the details about why this year's Dog Nation cruise is going to be bigger than any Dog Nation cruise ever has been we're literally on a bigger ship this time it's called the lure of the seas it's one of the oasis class ships one of the largest cruise ships at sea that already makes it a great experience and dog nation is going to meet the moment by also having more specially themed dog nation events there as well we're going to make this an amazing experience for the hundreds of you who are going to be on board with us and we want you to make your plans to be with us for that today so you can uh, reach out to jessica slater as I said before great website Royaldogs.com. you can also call her 770-718-9147 i'll give that number to you again 770-718-9147 or you can email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com for more on that so let's do this simply just for a moment let's talk about the teams that can win the national championship because at this point in time I think that list is starting to get a good bit smaller. And since this is our cruise around the SEC, let's start here in the SEC. And I think, as Connor said, you've still got to include Alabama in the group. And if you say for the sake of conversation right now that, well, let's just say that Georgia doesn't win the national championship, would I view Alabama as a more likely champion than, like, say, Florida State? I believe I still probably would. A more likely national champion than either the teams in the Pac-12 like a Washington or uh, an Oregon I I believe I probably would are they more likely champion than Ohio State I would say yeah probably so more likely champion than Michigan no I believe on a neutral field my suspicion might be Michigan better than Alabama Uh, and I think you'd have to respect Texas on a neutral field against Alabama because Texas went to Tuscaloosa and beat them So there are a couple of teams that I think would have to be reasonably considered better than Alabama in the non-Georgia category, but of these other playoff contenders, I mean, I would trust Nick Saban and Alabama to line up and play them and potentially beat them as much as probably anything else. I think that Alabama is at least for real enough in a discussion like that. Um, I don't think this is obviously an Alabama team in keeping with what typical Alabama teams have been nor do I believe this is an Alabama team in keeping with what we sort of traditionally think of in the elite category sort of playoff level teams just broadly speaking traditionally speaking I don't think this Alabama team's at that level either but as Connor said you've got to consider them right now among the national championship contenders so what does that mean for the game against LSU on Saturday I have to confess here I really don't know how I'm going with this one yet you know at the beginning of the year I was very high on LSU I thought LSU would be a playoff team and you know I've kind of gotten a lot wrong in terms of my perception of LSU but they're still at least in this conversation enough that you've got to take them seriously against Alabama on Saturday but the makeup of LSU is different than what I thought it would be they're worse defensively by a long shot than what I ever expected them to be they've offensively gotten more out of Jaden Daniels than I thought was possible either Right now, Daniels is playing, with due respect to Carson Beck, who's probably the next guy on this list, Daniels is playing like the best quarterback in the SEC. And that kind of quarterback play, when Alabama really doesn't have that, that of course gives LSU a chance to win on Saturday. But there are so many things from like a just sort of basic blocking and tackling sense for Alabama, a lot of this defensively, of course, that I think would give them a real shot against uh, LSU. I just think that you're talking about an LSU team that is so vulnerable defensively against teams that probably can exploit you less easily than what Alabama can. I am not ready to make a pick on this game yet, but I do think it's fascinating. It's either going to set up big clash in the SEC championship between what we believe is Georgia with Alabama on the other side, or it turns the SEC West into total turmoil. It's really worth watching. But if we include Alabama in the group, who else is in that championship? You know, not just contending group, but the but the uh, but the teams that could actually win it. Ultimately, I don't believe Ohio State's that team. I just don't believe that Kyle McCord's a good enough quarterback. They may deserve the ranking tonight on a re- a resume basis if you want to make the evaluation that way. But this is a team that you know barely beat Wisconsin on Saturday. They're just not explosive the way we're typically used to them being. They're clearly much better on defense. But I don't have Ohio State in the category of even recent Ohio State teams even though from a personality standpoint they probably flip-flopped a little bit. I don't view Ohio State as a team that realistically really could win the national championship. They'll have a chance to prove me wrong against Michigan at the end of the regular season but this doesn't feel like that kind of Ohio State team to me. Uh, It's kind of only Michigan that I think could win the national championship. I don't believe Michigan could beat Georgia. But if something were to happen to Georgia, I do believe Michigan could and probably would beat almost anybody else. I'm still pretty suspicious of Florida State, although Florida State remains very much a contender to make the college football playoff. The ACC, uh, you know, winner is going to clearly get, you know, a, a very legitimate shot of being included in the playoff. If it's undefeated Florida State, they'll almost certainly be in there. But given you know the way this team is sort of playing on a week to week basis. You know, the one thing they do well is distribute the ball to what I think is a tandem of wide receivers that would be pretty dangerous for Georgia or anybody else. Obviously Keon Coleman, who I believe is playing, you know, as as well as almost anybody, even Johnny Wilson I think is a really good receiver too. That's like the one truly elite trait that I believe that Florida State has. But I don't put Florida State in the category of a Georgia or a Michigan or frankly even a Texas. And a Texas team is a team that I do believe could win the national championship. And yes, or at least they'd be a reasonable contender for that national championship. And yes, I know they've already lost a game here, but we saw them on Saturday play without Quinn Ewers and they made it look easy. That's the kind of thing Texas is doing. For everybody sort of waiting for this sort of Texas face plant where they proved to be a lot more, you know, hat than cattle, to use an analogy that works for the Longhorns you know, I just think we've got enough action here this year to sort of show that's not true. We're going to talk more about Clemson here in a moment uh, because of the funny stuff involving Dabo Swinney from last night. But, you know, at one point, you know, Clemson had to put the idea of Clemsoning to bed. That was the old phrase that people used to use, that when you sort of started to believe in Clemson, they'd have the kind of face plant loss that would make you feel like a fool for having done so. People are eventually Clemson moved past that. and I think we're in kind of a position where under Steve Sarkeesian, it looks like Texas is starting to move past some of that there as well that they have a real shot to be 12 and one big 12 champs in the final year of that league and i think as a playoff team you'd have to take them seriously i just think this is a much higher level texas team than we've seen before and among the teams as a georgia fan that i would say i have the most respect for i believe that uh i believe that texas is one of those teams i'll conclude by saying this the other interesting thing to me right now is is I do believe the Pac-12 has a legitimate contender, but it's not the team that's currently undefeated. It's not Washington. I think the best team in the Pac-12 is Oregon, and I know they went on the road. They lost to Washington, but they lost by a field goal in a hostile environment there in that spot. Oregon's been proving to you what it's all about since then, including an absolute dismantling of Utah on the road in a very tough spot this past Saturday. As Connor mentioned, last couple of weeks from Washington they've been playing in such a way that would make you believe that a loss or perhaps a couple of losses are eventually not just possible for them but likely this seems like a Washington team that's heading towards some sort of reckoning here just given the fact they've made it look far more difficult the last couple of weeks than a true championship co- contending team is supposed to that's 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 the that's what's at issue for Washington here right now so I think the Pac-12's best is Oregon and I do think you have to include them as truly a legitimate contending team so right now i got one from the pac 12 i'll call it oregon i've got one from the big 12 i'll call it texas obviously oklahoma was eliminated from that this past week i'll still include florida state you know most people will put michigan and ohio state i'm pretty skeptical there of ohio state and you got to include georgia and alabama that's sort of the list with a few teams sort of teetering on the brink of no longer being on that list and that's the i think the The overarching conversation that should dominate the first CFP rankings, which will be released tonight. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So funny stuff with Davos 20 coming up. Before that, though, let me remind you, we're getting ready for the SEC championship here uh, in a few uh, weeks there as well. Many of you making those plans to be a part of that. And so as you do, don't forget, there is tremendous, tremendous Uh, opportunity for you to make plans to travel here to the Atlanta area and specifically the place to come to to travel to for all of that right here in the Dunwoody area. This is the place that Dog Nation calls home, and when your travel plans take you to the Atlanta area, it's the place you ought to consider staying there, too. We're nestled right here in between two MARTA stations. That means if you're traveling from the airport, super convenient to get to. If you're uh, uh, you know, going into Buckhead downtown, you can use those same MARTA stations to get there, so you can kind of stay outside the hustle and bustle in kind of a family-friendly environment and take advantage of all the great stuff that's going on right here in the Dunwoody area. you got a couple thousand hotel rooms. That means there's great savings to be had. A couple hundred restaurants. That means you get all the choices you could want fine dining you know quick service uh kind of sort of the the you know sort of trendier modern type restaurants if you want that whatever you want there on the restaurant scene it's all right here in the Dunwoody area and shopping experiences getting ready for the holidays and Christmas and stocking up all those great gifts lots of opportunities to do that here in the Dunwoody area too so please check out this website it's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation that's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation and find out what the Dunwoody area is all about when it comes to your travels here to the Atlanta area right between a couple of modern stations easy to get from the airport to downtown to Buckhead to mid town wherever you want to go right here in the Dunwoody area for more on that all right so the entirety of the college football world is talking about what happened last night Dabo Swinney during his radio show now this is like several minutes long so we can't play the whole thing for you maybe at some point in time we'll kind of revisit some of this and do some more of it but I wanted to give you a little bit of a taste of this because Georgia fans have had a strong reaction to this Caller calls up last night, just ripping in a dabbo Swinney about the fact that he makes $11 million and just what he believes is a level of coaching that's beneath the standard that Clemson ought to be aspiring to. It goes on for a couple of minutes. Now, listen, I got my media start in radio. That's just kind of the way that I came of age. I still love radio. We kind of function Dog Nation daily, much like a radio show because of the fact that I will, forever just love radio I just i'm kind of a radio guy that's just sort of my my thing um and as a radio man to hear a radio show go this far awry last night the whole thing is just totally totally bizarre and i don't say that from like a conspiratorial standpoint i just sort of say that more from the standpoint of um like how could you let the caller go on for this long You know, putting Dabo in such a tough spot, there aren't very many. We've actually talked about this before. There aren't very many coaches left to even do the old school traditional radio show. I'm glad a few of them still exist because I do think it's fun. And I do think there's something really cool about the idea that the fan gets a chance to speak to the newsmaker. You know, call up, ask a question to the coach. There's just something kind of nice about that. Uh, I think I think there ought to be more of that in sports. There's clearly not, and perhaps last night's Dabo Swinney coaches show isn't a reason why, an example of why there aren't more things like this. Because Dabo Swinney was not having it. Uh, Dabo used a couple of curse words, which is a little bit weird for uh, for Dabo uh, to do. We're only going to play a few seconds of this, but to give you a little bit of a taste of. How testy and contentious it's getting down there at Clemson right now, or over at Clemson, up at Clemson, wherever you want to say it, uh, between uh, Dabo and some of his fans there for the Tigers after another loss for Clemson this past Saturday. Take a listen to this.
2: Hey, I mean, Tyler.
1: hey Tyler, I've, I've listened enough for you, Tyler. Listen, uh, you can you can have all your opinions that you want, all right. I don't know how old you are. Don't really care, all right. But let me tell you something. Um, we won eleven games last year. And you're part of the problem, to be honest with you, because that is part of the problem. It's people like you that do that. all you do is the, the appreciation, the expectation is greater than the appreciation. And that's the problem.
0: Dabo Swinney telling Clemson fans, your expectations are greater than your appreciation, and that's a problem. Y'all, this is a touchy, touchy subject here right now. And there's way more of that. At one point in time, Dabo tells him, you're not going to talk to me like I'm 12 years old you know, really just offended at the level of disrespect. He thought the caller was showing towards Dabo. And, and, you know, to be honest, there's probably, you know, some of that to be there. And I'm probably a little bit more pro Dabo than some of y'all are, maybe generally speaking. That's, you know, that's probably true as well. But this whole thing sort of speaks to kind of a changing of the era there at Clemson, where I don't think anybody has any misgivings anymore. About Clemson being a premier program or Dabo being a premier coach. We're just sort of past that. And at one point in time, it seemed like, you know, Dabo might be the next candidate to replace Nick Saban because he's from Alabama, things like that. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think Dabo could get the Alabama job right now. I don't think he could. I don't believe Alabama would view him as a as a reasonable candidate for this job, given the questions about his inability to sort of halt the slide for Clemson here right now. And that sort of speaks to well, this sort of feels like a powder keg, the kind of thing that's going to come to some sort of big explosion here soon. So what happens? Does does Clemson want to move off of Dabo Swinney? Does Dabo want to move on to another job? And I don't think there's any kind of easy answer there on that for either side because if you're Dabo, surely you're wise enough to know. Even if you found a program that was willing to pay you big bucks to go be their head coach, the truth is is that the success that you've had you had for a previous employer so if you feel like you're under fire and taking heat and criticism at your current job if you were to leave and go somewhere else and maybe cash a big paycheck because they're glad to have a two-time national championship coach but you're not insulated from criticism there because the championships you've won you didn't win for them you won for your last school your last team and so i would imagine dabble is probably wise enough to know that that whatever cachet he has as a coach only exists as long as he's coaching at the place where he won those titles you move to a new spot all of a sudden you're only as good as you, what you've done at that job I would imagine Dabo is probably wise enough to realize that now on the flip side here you know Clemson is certainly probably recognizing the unrest that comes anytime you start losing games and I know it makes college football fans seem hysterical I, I'm obviously aware of that you know Georgia fans aren't you know, perhaps immune to this either I, I, I get all of that But it's just a fact of life that no matter how much you've won, losing always brings about frustration. It's just a bottom line. Maybe not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a real thing that you can win and win and win and win and win. But the moment you lose, frustration creeps back in just the way that things go. Uh, And so for Clemson, they're obviously dealing with this frustration here right now, but they're not in a position to to do anything to Dabo Swinney. So Dabo has made Clemson more relevant than it had ever been before. I know Danny Ford won a championship in 81, but gosh, there was a long wilderness for Clemson of really no national relevance really whatsoever. Dabo provided that to them. So when Dabo says, hey, you want to appreciate me more than you expect from me, I mean, there's an extent to which that, I guess, around Clemson is probably true. So what I believe you're going to have here is kind of a lingering period over the course of the next few years where there's a lot more stuff like that where Dabo wants to remain employed and keep doing the job and expects to be appreciated for the success that he has had. But life doesn't really work that way. And, you know, right now Clemson could not in any conceivable way move on from him, probably wouldn't even want to. But they will definitely have to deal with the growing frustration the more that Clemson loses games. And I believe there's a really good chance they're not done losing this year yet. I mean, They've got more losses perhaps coming here this year. And every time they lose one, Dabo's going to point to what they have done and you know what he believes the future can be because of the success that Clemson has had. But right now, Clemson fans are not buying it. So if you're a Georgia fan, this is why this is relevant for you. A couple of reasons. Reason number one, I mean, Clemson, while Georgia hasn't played them on the field very much, they have been a very significant recruiting rival. Think about Sammy Brown, the linebacker from Jefferson on his way to Clemson. What does Sammy Brown think about this right now? What do other targets of Clemson think about the fact that, you know, they perhaps got interested in Clemson at a time in which it was viewed as Clemson being among the national elite, but that could not be farther from the truth here right now. You know, does Clemson still get in on elite recruits here? You know, in our local area across the South, certainly in the state of Georgia, the Atlanta area in particular, knowing they're not probably selling the idea of college football playoffs and uh, and, and opportunities at national championships anymore. Uh, I think that's fair to ask. And then beyond that, uh, next year Georgia opens with Clemson and you know when Georgia played Clemson in 2021 this was about as big a game as Georgia could play Clemson had far more program pedigree than Georgia had at that particular time Georgia was aspiring to get to where Clemson was Georgia was an underdog that day but a field goal underdog that day against Clemson won the game the two fortunes of the two programs have been completely different ever since then but you're kind of left to wonder How much juice is there for Georgia Clemson to begin next season, knowing how much Clemson's scuffling here right now? And The idea that Clemson could be favored against Georgia, that's laughable now. You're kind of left to wonder, is Georgia a two-touchdown favorite against Clemson? I mean, is there that big of a gap and a difference between these two programs right now when they open the 2024 season? I think you'd have to assume it probably is. It's just amazing how quickly things can change and amazing right now how little – Uh, ability Dabo Swinney seems to have to stop that slide he's feeling frustration from his fans and he's going to probably feel a lot more in the uh, time to come fascinating situation there in the upstate as uh, Dabo Swinney battles some fans as the uh, Clemson season seems to be totally unraveling of course no issues like that for Georgia here right now as we told you our golden shoes this week going to celebrate a lot of you enjoying the win for georgia against florida including this today for me a little bit of a family tie here this is my cousin jessica her husband greg showing off their gator hater t-shirts uh enjoying that win for a georgia against florida they sent this to me and i was so proud of that i'm always proud anytime uh that georgia fans show off the gator hater paraphernalia we've certainly had some fun putting those t-shirts out there over the years that's especially true though when it's a family connection like this so to greg and jessica thank you so much for wearing those uh, gator hitter t-shirts we will make you golden shoe winners for today that is a really really cool thing and to all of you showing off that gator hitter gear on saturday we certainly appreciate there as well and by the way speaking of the lousy stinking gators how about the uh, run that georgia's on that shows no signs of ending anytime soon last time the florida beat georgia was a thousand eighty eight days ago and that number going to keep on climbing and we're proud about that that's our gator hater updater and a good way to close things out today on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia we'll see all of you back here again tomorrow